Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, I'm Naomi, and I'm speaking today with Reverend L. Clark Williams. Reverend Williams is a Lexington native who serves as Director of Ministry for Shiloh Baptist Church. He's also part of a group known as Black Faith Leaders of Lexington and Vicinity. Last June 4th, that group delivered a statement signed by more than 40 religious leaders calling for specific actions regarding policing and economic empowerment for racial minorities. They marched from Main Street Baptist Church to hand deliver the statement to Mayor Gordon, Police Chief Weathers, and Sheriff Witt. They also sent the statement to Fayette County Public Schools and the University of Kentucky. Reverend Williams, can you tell us why you and your colleagues felt these steps were necessary? Well, Thank you for having me as well, Naomi. And and yes, those steps were so necessary because we have to understand that with the turmoil and the unrest that was happening, particularly with a great deal of intensity this summer, all of that is really indicative of the fact that people aren't being heard. Protesting is something that transpires when people are not being heard, when the cries of the people are not being heard or a segment of the people. And so in in conjunction with protesting, it's important. And we as, as faith leaders, as ministers, felt that it was crucial for us from our platforms uh, individually, but even collectively, to come together and try to frame a conversation and a call to action that perhaps could be heard that would alleviate ultimately the need to protest if, in fact, it is and, and will be heard. Thank you. You did have a detailed call to action on the 4th of June, and there were, I think, three main elements of it at that point. Uh, What were those? Well, most of the elements pertain to policing. Why? Because that was really where the pain is being felt most directly right now in terms of disparities. And so in the policing realm, uh, we uh, we have been calling for a permanent ban on no-knock warrants. No-knock warrants, uh, we've been told, are not used very often, used very rarely. But the Breonna Taylor incident in Louisville, really travesty and tragedy in Louisville, shows very clearly that we just can't, the cost, the potential cost of using no-knock warrants is just too great um, to justify ever using them. And so we're still calling for a permanent ban on no-knock warrants in Lexington. We're also calling for a citizen review board as a part of the police disciplinary process, which there is is no citizen participation at present in the uh, police disciplinary process. It only ultimately comes before council to be voted on, but there's no citizen review process uh, in place as it relates to policing and holding police accountable during the disciplinary process. The third thing is that we're calling for a stringent policy as it relates to the use of uh, and the activation of, of police body cameras. So many times when there is wrongdoing or alleged police wrongdoing, the body cameras are not on. And so we're calling for a very stringent, uh, absolute 
kind of policy as it relates to the use of police body cameras. And we found that in the last several years, as they've been using them or having them more at their disposal, there are are hundreds of incidents in which the body cameras are not on, and that's unacceptable. But outside of law enforcement, the other piece we've really been calling for is more on the economic empowerment side, economic inclusion side, and more specifically, we've been calling for the University of Kentucky, City of of, uh, Lexington, Fayette County Schools to walk with us on a pathway whereby each one of those entities will do 15% of their business with racial minorities. Thank you. During the year, your group did make a few more statements and have been involved, I think, in a number of conversations on various fronts. 2020 was very eventful, to say the least. Can you tell us how you feel about where things stand now? Do you see signs of progress? I see some signs of progress, more so because I'm heavily vested in our group, is heavily vested in the work. I believe the last time that we had a public statement was back in October. Since October, especially really with some intensity in January and so far through February, we're, we're having a lot of meetings with all of these decision makers in these various realms that, that we speak of, whether it be uh, in the city government or with University of Kentucky, with Fayette County Schools. You know, we, we're, we're behind the scenes making some progress, I think, on our end. But I also feel like this, this is much more of an urgent matter. To, to us than perhaps it is to some. And, and we should be further along, particularly, I, I would say, with those policing aspects of what we've been calling for. I understand that the one of the areas in which there's been um, progress or perhaps the one area that we can point to most concretely is with the body cameras. I believe we have now funding for all sworn officers to have and wear body cameras. Is that correct? I believe so. But what we're also concerned about is what happens when they don't turn them on. And that's something we're still really pressing, that that the policy around the actual use of them and keeping them active must be absolute, uh, must be at least far more absolute than it has been to this point. So. And I understand that with respect to police discipline, Mayor Gorton did somewhere along the way, create the accountability review committee, mm-hmm. which would actually be a post-disciplinary action right. police review panel. So that would include citizens, but it wouldn't have input. And as early as October, someone in your group had noted that that's not sufficient. And I believe he said an immediate fix could be to add community representation to Lexington Police's public integrity unit. Is that something that we might expect to see, or is that not something that, that is likely to happen? I think that's a, a possibility. One of the, the challenges, a couple of challenges with with uh, the body cams and and with the citizen review board and, and some of these things, you know, you've, you've on one hand you've got the fraternal order of police and a collective bargaining agreement between the city and and the police union basically, and as a result of that, some things are already built into that agreement that have to be modified, have to be changed, have to be bargained for at a time when uh, perhaps there won't be 
a lot of money to 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 bargain with, you know, in in a in a, in a using a fund using a like a compensation kind of mechanism. In other words, there may not be a lot of dollars on the table for raises and those kinds of things that will make it easier to bargain with the police union. And so that's a challenge in and of itself. And then there's also some issues with the Kentucky Revised Statutes as it relates to particularly citizen review panels and so forth. But we really need the city, to your question, what we need for the city to do is maximize citizen participation, you know, in every way that they have available to them, whether it be uh, something short of a citizen review board like what you're mentioning here and also passing a resolution uh, asking Frankfurt to open that window up so that we could uh, put in forth a citizen review panel in the full sense, because a, a post, post-disciplinary post review, as I believe the mayor has, has, has framed it, will allow people to get a peek into how they go about carrying out discipline, but it still provides no avenue for uh, you to be actually a part of the uh, disciplinary process. And that's certainly not acceptable. Speaking of Frankfurt, which you mentioned a moment ago, I understand that the House has currently under consideration or has been submitted a Brianna's law to ban no-knock warrants statewide. Is it fair to say that we're waiting on the outcome of that discussion at the state level before we we see more action locally? Well, I mean, that may be the I guess the the thought of some, you know, Louisville banned them as a, as a as a city government as a city, and so we should be banning them here as well. You know, at the, the city of Lexington uh, certainly should go ahead and not wait for Frankfurt to do what what the city can do for itself. Um, and and so our hope would be that it gets banned in Frankfurt, but our expectation would still be that the city of Lexington goes ahead and proceeds and, and council and mayor ban them here, regardless of what happens in Frankfurt. I have a question about another element of the call that you made as a group. In a event in October, I think you referenced as the last public uh, statement made, Mm -hmm. you personally had anticipated that as you call for action on economic disparities, that you're likely to be answered by uh, calls to have a study to help identify minority and disadvantaged business contractors. And you noted at that time that disparity studies are very expensive and take up to two years to conduct. You said, we do not have time to wait for the outcome of a study. And subsequently, the city allotted $500,000 for such a study, which I, I understand is going to be something on the order of two years. Do you feel that there has been enough substantive discussion or action to suggest that anything might really change before the study is completed? Well, uh, time will tell. One of the things um, that we have been doing behind the scenes uh, in collaboration with Commerce Lexington, and in fact, in our original statement, we did call on Commerce Lexington to play a role, particularly as it related to minority business spending. And and they have been faithful to facilitating ongoing uh, conversations between with the Black Faith leaders, along with University of Kentucky, the city, and Fayette County Schools. And and we're we're slowly but surely uh, putting some 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 strategies in place, developing some strategies whereby those entities will be able to collaborate with um, some minority businesses, even in this in the context of of that meeting, uh, so that we can very intentionally 
identify some 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 minority business spending opportunities, some minority participation in some of the economic opportunity that's happening in, in Lexington. I mean, and just kind of and, and it really goes beyond those three entities where we've got to go with that. But um, in in conjunction with that disparity study, yes, that's still a very real concern. It's going to take two years. It's going to cost a half million dollars. So what we are still asking the city, what we're still asking the mayor, still asking, is but between now and the end of that disparity study, what can you do tangibly to drive those numbers upward in the meantime? Because one of the things the disparity study is going to say is one of the reasons that we're not doing more business with minority firms is because there's not enough of them. Well, we know there's not enough of them because it's, it's there's not going to be uh, enough of them if the three biggest players in town do virtually don't do do very 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 little business with them. So you know that's not going to be a shocker or a surprise. We really more or less know what a disparity study is going to show uh, before we even go into it. And so since we do, that's something that. They see the need to do for due diligence, and some uh, would say from a legal standpoint that that's the way to go. Uh, since that's the case, what are we going to do in the meantime uh, to, to remove barriers and, and allow uh, for more diversity and more inclusion in how those entities do business? But it really doesn't stop with them. We've already moved on now to looking at some other projects and, and, and opportunities in the city that are, are just as, as grave as, as what's happening with those three entities. Uh, you know, even when you look at Baptist Health, uh, they are building a new complex in Hamburg. There doesn't appear to be any kind of minority business spending plan in place there. When we look at Central Bank Center, very, very little minority spend went into that, you know, $200 million dollar project if 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 it was that. So we've just got problems of that nature all over the city beyond the city government. And disparity studies really won't tell us much more than we already know. And to the extent that we do have goals and metrics for minority spending, I understand that I believe that's with respect to the city, whereas I and I might get this wrong, please correct me if, if I do. I saw a figure that it's something like fifteen percent of Contracts were meant to go to minority contractors, but in fact, only one percent of that was racial minorities. The others were women and veterans. Yes, have I got that right? Close. Yeah, I think ten percent has been their goal to this point. We're 10%. we're pressing for a fifteen percent goal, but that ten percent goal, as you stated, pertained to all DBEs or quote unquote disadvantaged businesses, which would include racial minorities, women veterans and people with disabilities. And so one of the things in the conversations that we've had subsequent even to our public conversations is when you have a designation of disadvantaged business enterprise and it really encompasses all women, all minorities, all veterans, and everyone with a disability, to have a 10% and certainly even a 15% goal that you would do uh, you know, 15% of your business with that pool of people, which is the vast, vast majority of people, is certainly not really a goal at all. And so what we're challenging them to do is to have a 15% racial minority goal and then also look at actual goals in those other spaces. Because we can't continue to do 10 or 15% or even aspire to do 10 or 15% with that big pool of people 
and not even be able to hit that. And even if we do hit it, feel like we've accomplished something when everybody qualifies to be in that pool, except for white men who aren't veterans and who aren't disabled. You know, that that's not it. That's one of the things we've been saying that that um, whatever goal you put in place, it has to have a transformational effect when you reach it. And, you know, the goals that we've had where we pull everybody in together for a small percentage will never be transformational. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Reverend Williams, what do you hope to see next from our community? Well, I think that, and I'm, I would be counted among that group, the mayor responded to the protesting that took place and um, to our delivery of our letter. Um, you know, and, and I think you might have even mentioned that a little bit as to, you know, a question with regard to that. You know, it, it was very, uh, I think, dramatic and on purpose you know, to hand deliver it because it was that serious. It wasn't something just to drop in the mail. But when she, her response to that was to create a commission with a lot of people on it, a lot of good people on it, a lot of committed people on it. They spent a ton of their time this summer, uh, committed a ton of their time to a report that is pretty exhaustive. It has dozens of recommendations and they dig deep into some areas but one of my concerns, first off, is what really, between October and December, did you really do with the report? And really, even through the middle of part of January, um, if not late January. Secondly, I'm concerned in that there's dozens of, of recommendations there. But if we want to get to the pain of this past summer, that is a reoccurring pain in America. It's going to happen over and over and over again until we make some changes. Uh, the things that really get to the heart of that, we believe, are banning the no-knock warrants permanently, the citizen review board, working toward that, and maximizing citizen participation during the, the uh, disciplinary process, even as we figure out, even as we work toward a citizen review board, dealing with, you know, collective bargaining, dealing with uh, state statutory uh, changes that need to be made. And then also the, the real definitive, more absolute policy on body cameras. Those three things we feel like are, are if you get at the heart of what is going on, what people are struggling with, why we have so much pain and angst right now, those are three things that are really at the heart of that right now as it relates to law enforcement. And then again, we we really need to start having, I want to see us in 2021, have a few wins in that minority business spending space with the UK, with uh, Fayette County Schools and others. Even if our metrics aren't anywhere near 15% yet, we need to make some gains. We need to have something that we can show that says that, that these entities are serious. And we also are going to bring some other entities in. They should be leading the way. Uh, but we need to make this a community and really show that this is a city where it is possible for you to do business. I'm a, I'm a graduate from University of Kentucky. I'm an honors graduate from the business school undergraduate. But based on the numbers that we've seen at the University of Kentucky uh, historically, I never realistically, regardless of what I would have gotten into from a business standpoint, I never realistically, statistically would have had a chance to really do any business with the University of Kentucky, just based on who they do business with demographically. That's 
those kinds of things. We've got to we've got to work in 2021 to where we start writing that ship and start changing that narrative and start making a statement like what I just made begin to be at least somewhat untrue. Reverend Williams, in terms of what you hope to see next from our community, I'm aware that we have a number of folks who were protesting over the summer who are currently facing legal charges for their actions, which I understand to be nonviolent. And I believe that in one occasion where I was present, I heard Mayor Gordon, and I think there were others where she has credited the summer's protesters with with bringing a needed awareness to her and to others in our city. So some people do have concern about the apparent discrepancy there where their work is credited for having been helpful and perhaps necessary, yet they're facing legal charges. Do you have any thoughts on that issue? Absolutely. That troubles me greatly. You know, those who led the protest, Sarah Williams, April Taylor, others, some agree with the manner in which they protested, some don't agree. But there seems to be, among those who are seeking change or would be desirous of some transformational change, some justice, some equity, including the mayor, she has she credits them or credits that, that effort with being part of being an agent of change in this community, or at least uh, an agent that that sparked the conversation to go further with some of the actions that she's taken. And so to, on one hand, credit credit them and credit others that were consistently calling for change night in and night out, day in and day out. And then on the other hand, not be gravely concerned that they're still, they still have criminal charges hanging over them as a result of that is, is a real inconsistency. And that inconsistency needs to be corrected. She would have to seemingly, and others would have to seemingly be calling for, for those charges to be dropped. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your perspective today. I really appreciate you joining us. Well, I'm, it's my pleasure and happy that you all are paying attention to this issue and would be certainly happy as, as some more things evolve that, that we can follow up sometime. That'd be great. Thank you. Look forward to it. Okay. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.